wear short skirts. I wear t-shirts. I told you you were going to say something as soon as I <laughs> hit record. Didn't say a damn thing. <laughs> I sang a thing. You got to cut all this out because we no. can't sing. I'm leaving it in. <laughs> Taylor will find us. <laughs> Good. A little promo for our podcast. No, she's just good. She can't demonetize she's gonna us. Take, <laughs> she's going to take all the money we've earned. <laughs> Hi, Taylor. The negative dollars we have in this, we've earned from this show. You're welcome for the free publicity. Yeah, she I needs don't it like from us. folklore very much. Hello, and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. And this is a podcast all about Taylor Swift. Woo! <laughs> what are her fans called? Swifties, right? I don't know. I like that you know. I th- I'm pretty sure it's Swifties. Or that's like what they used to be. I don't know what they are now. Hmm. That was back when Justin Bieber had like his Believers or Believers or whatever they were called. And I don't know what Miley Cyrus had, but I'm sure it was something. Anyway. Did she have fans? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is a music history podcast where I try and teach music history to Mika, and I'm only somewhat successful sometimes. I don't pay attention, which is not a good character trait. Well, you know, can't change who you are. Nope. I've tried. So, in oh wait, no, wait, I was just going to get right into it, but we have stuff other stuff to do first we have other stuff to do like mika is the host now almost just skipped over your segment it's okay <laughs> i wouldn't have said anything because thinking about it sent me into like an existential crisis about 10 minutes ago well, we have a long episode ahead so i think i was just getting into it you just don't care about what i have to say is what i'm hearing no, that's not true i gave you a whole podcast on my podcast <laughs> Um, I actually did come up with something. Thank you very much. I never said you won it. You said you won it. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Um, shout out to Yoga with Adrian on YouTube because I have a hard time doing any sort of workout or moving some <laughs> days. And Don't I always all. feel like I can at least do something. And she's so like uplifting and funny and and I feel like she like breaks down yoga in a way that I can do and I've become like more bendy only a little bit and a little bit stronger it's called flexible bendy I never would have been able to like get to even the point I am right now if I was going to like traditional classes I don't think because I would be like way too self-conscious I always feel like yoga is a very like you are skinny and strong and and athletic and like that's yoga. And so I know that's not the case, but like this makes me feel like I can do it and and actually enjoy it and not freak out the whole time. So I really appreciate her. <laughs> cool. That's all. All right. Mika no longer the host now. Mika no longer the host now. Okay. When did we get rid of that article? Mika no longer host now. <laughs> Mika host now. Mika no longer host now. It's just shortening. Nick it. host it's now. It's going to be an acronym soon. I'm too lazy to think of what it would actually be. <laughs> that would be way too long to like say. M I T H N. Missing. <laughs> no. Okay. Anyway, we're getting into the music history now. Into the Because I just scrolled through this script and oh boy, is it long. There's not as many songs as you might expect, Aww. but that's probably because there's a lot of words. <laughs> okay. Are you regretting your choices? A little bit. <laughs> I almost broke this up into two episodes and I kept it with one and I now I'm kind of regretting that. We can always like do the whole thing and then just like awkwardly just, yeah, split, split it, it in yeah. two. <laughs> okay. Well, we're, we're just going to stop talking <laughs> and then you're going to be like, oh, that's why <laughs> we know on the front end. Well, I'm. We're finishing up talking about the war eras today. Like this is our last in that little period that I'm calling like a little mini season of our show, the war eras from like the 20s through the 40s. So what are some things you remember from this period? We're talking about like jazz in the 20s, swing, all of that fun stuff, folk, country. That's so much. 
Mm-hmm. You expect me to remember Just things about that? Anything that sticks out right now? Um, the Pickle Boys of Broadway. <laughs> okay, the Izzy Gershwins of Broadway. Yes. Um, All the most recent stuff. Yes, leave me alone. Um, it was Ella, right? We had a a whole had an Ella, episode yeah. of Ella, and she was so cute and yep. young and and wonderful and like learned on the streets. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I really like her. We had Ella and Louie when we talked about jazz. Okay, that's good enough. Okay, because that's about <laughs> all I remember. Well, today we're going to finish up this period by talking about arguably the biggest artist of that entire period and one of the most important artists in American history, Bing Crosby. It's our Bing Crosby special. <laughs> it's not really a secret that I'm a fan of Bing, and it sounds like you are too. I like it. What was that noise? <laughs> so I like a lot of Bing's music, and I like his like general style and demeanor, at least his public persona. That does not mean I think he was a perfect guy or even really like a great upstanding guy. I think he had issues and his own shortfalls, like everyone does. I respect what he was able to do in the music that he made. What are your thoughts on Bing? I don't know very much about him, and I like listening to Bing Crosby at Christmas time. <laughs> okay, cool. So that's basically all you know is his Christmas music. You don't really know I mean, anything beyond that. I'm sh- I know I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see when we get into it. So, and I will kind of like disclaimer up front. I read. A biography on Bing, like pretty soon before I wrote this episode. But the biography was a part one, and I didn't read the part two. So <laughs> I read like up until he released White Christmas in 1940, and I didn't read about him after that. That's funny. So that's why this episode is very heavy loaded on the front part of Bing's life, and there's not a whole lot about the last. That's why I didn't make it into two separate episodes. Because you like, didn't have enough for the yeah, last Yeah, I was like, bit. the first one's going to be an hour long, and the second one's going to be 20 minutes. That's <laughs> funny. But anyway, I mean, I like the first part of someone's career anyway. It shows where they came from and how, whatever. So Harry Lillis Crosby was born in 1903 in Tacoma, Washington. His family had deep roots in the Pacific Northwest, and Bing would stay in the area until he left to seek stardom in California as a young man. Soon after his birth, his family moved to Spokane, Washington. Spokane or Spokane? Spokane. That's where my grandparents live. Okay. His family moved to Spokane, Washington, which is where he was raised. He was the fourth of seven children, and a few of his siblings played prominent roles in his career when he got older. His father worked for a brewery as a bookkeeper, which meant times got a little hard when Prohibition hit. The brewery was able to keep him on as they shifted to producing other products, but money was pretty tight when they were growing up. Apparently, Bing's father wasn't the best with money. One day, he came home with a brand new record player, having spent most of his money on it. Bing and the kids loved it, but Bing's mother was pretty pissed. His father was known as a free spirit kind of guy, but his mother was the exact opposite. She was a ruthless disciplinarian who constantly forced her children to be the best, and it is said that most of her kids kind of resented her when they got older. Holy goodness gracious. (laughs) That was a description. What? <laughs> no, she just, it's like, dad was cool. Mom is a horrible, horrible woman. <laughs> no, she wasn't horrible. She was just. Ruthless. Okay. Ruthless. Ruthless disciplinarian. That's not better. It is. Ruthless just means like, I'm just going to like beat you down for the sake of it. But like ruthless disciplinarian means she's very strict with rules and discipline when you disobey those rules. So you could also say a very just disciplinarian. She's, yeah, her kids didn't like her very much. (laughs) Her kids ended up not liking her a whole lot when they got older because she was very, she was hard on them. Bing always looked out for his parents, but he would always hide his alcohol when his mother came to see him when he was older. Same. (laughs) It's not true with your parents at all. Your dad sold wine for a period. There's, like, a story of him, like, in his offices as a famous person when he had, like, Bing Inc. or whatever. And, like, his like he got word from his secretary that his mom was coming into the office. So he, like, put his drink behind a painting. And, like, 
That's hilarious because I feel like I feel like a lot of his career, like he's like all of those guys are very like, hi, I'm here and I have a drink in my hand yeah. and it's like their image. Yeah, like, she knew. That's I think really it's just hilarious. like if he did it away from her, she couldn't get mad at him. But if he did it to her face, then she could hit him. Hit him? <laughs> well, like spank him or whatever, but he's an adult, so I don't know what she's going to do. Anyway, <laughs> the nickname Bing was given to him pretty early on, but there's been some false info on how he got it. Bing! One story that Bing himself told and became the most popular and believed story went like this. Quoting Bing, quote, Well, I'll tell you, back in the knee bridges day, when I was a wee little tyke, a mere broth of a lad, as Can we say we in Spokane. Can we just pause right there? <laughs> <laughs> what got you? A mere broth of a lad? A knee breeches day? <laughs> a wee tyke? Where'd, you, I where'd I lose you? <laughs> I understand wee tyke, but what is that other slang? <laughs> a broth of a lad? <laughs> what is a broth of a lad? <laughs> He's not a fully developed soup. He's, just He's a mere broth of a lad. <laughs> he still has a ways to go. <laughs> Apparently that's what they said in Spokane, according to him. Oh, my God. <laughs> I used to totter around the streets with a gun on each hip. What? Probably like a BB gun. My favorite after-school pastime was a game known as Cops and Robbers. I didn't care which side I was on. When a cop or robber came into view, I would haul out my trusty six-shooters made of wood and loudly exclaim, bing, bing, as my luckless victim fell clutching his side. So he just can't say bang? <laughs> I would shout bing bing and I would let him have it again and then as his friends and then as his friends came to his rescue shooting as they came I would shout bing bing so apparently that was his story was that he would shoot people with his little fake wooden guns and yell bing as he did it what <laughs> <laughs> when he was a mere broth of a lad mere broth of a lad <laughs> but that story wasn't true at all he made it all up what an entertainer the real story, well, hold on, before I get to the real story, that's like a big thing with some of these guys at this point, is their PR people would make up stories that just sounded cuter or more fun and like attribute it to them. Like for most of his career, people thought Bing was like two years younger than he actually was because his publicist just said he was. That's and, hilarious. And Bing was like, yeah, why'd sure. she only do two years? <laughs> it was some like it was a cutoff, like he was 28 instead of 30 or something. I don't know. But he, Bing was just like, I don't care. Sure. <laughs> so they just that's let her hilarious. run. So that's how a lot of these stories came out. Anyway, the real story behind his nickname is that his neighbors started calling him Bingo from Bingville after a popular comic in the newspaper that Bing really loved. Eventually, the name got shortened to just Bing. Like it was a local newspaper and it had a... Bingo from Bingville. Yeah, that was the name of the comic that strip. That needs some beefing up. <laughs> Yeah, that's why he went with the cops and robbers when he was a bing, mere bing. broth of a lad. What on earth? <laughs> bing went to Gonzaga High School and eventually Gonzaga University studying to be a lawyer, though he wouldn't graduate from the university. He graduated from high school. Apparently, he never cared for school, though he was very smart. He didn't apply himself, and that made his teachers pretty frustrated with him. He was more focused on entertaining the class as the class clown, which makes sense. Growing up, Bing played the drums and loved to sing and whistle. He was always more focused on sports than anything else and could have been a really successful swimmer if he wanted to be. Cool. There's, like, where he grew up, apparently there were these, this place on the beach with, like, these huge pillars or something in the water, and it was a super dangerous place to swim. So, basically, he just got really good at swimming by, like, swimming in that and not dying, basically. As boys do. Yeah. There's also the story of, like, I don't know if I have this in the... I probably don't. But when he was older, he was with a friend at, like, a diving competition. And they were just watching it. And he was like, I bet I could do that. And his friend was like, no, you can't. These are professional divers. And he was like, yeah, I can do that. So he asked if he could. And they were like, I mean, you're bing, sure. So he went up to the high dive and jumped off. And the only reason he didn't complete the dive was because he forgot he had his pipe in his mouth when he jumped. And he didn't want to lose his pipe. So he held on to it and fell in the water instead. <laughs> I have n no words because <laughs> I have so many thoughts. Yeah, he was interesting. Guy. Yeah, he's really good in water. He's a, he's a big sportsman, dude. 
But instead of sports, music took his focus, and he started devoting himself to learning the new songs and the new styles of music that were sweeping the nation. Because of the record player his dad bought, Bing had access to all kinds of music. Bing loved vaudeville and the minstrel shows that would come through the town. He idolized Al Jolson and even saw him perform in Spokane once. Remember Al Jolson? Yes, he sings the Mamie song. Yeah. I don't like that one. (laughs) When Bing was in his early 20s, he heard that a high school student named Al Rinker was trying to get a band started and needed a drummer. That's a horrible name. Al Rinker? Yeah. All right, fine. Just diss Al Rinker for no reason. I, I'm sure he's delightful, but like I I know he got teased. <laughs> I don't know. So the band needed a new drummer. So Bing asked to play with them. They accepted him into the group when they heard him sing and didn't really care about his drumming abilities. They were known as the, this is a hard word to say, so I'm probably going to butcher it, musical ladders. Why is what? Music. It's like it's like musical and ladders combined. I'm sure it's one musical word. ladders. Musical ladders. I don't know. I don't know what it <laughs> means. They would play high school dances in a few clubs around the town, even appearing briefly on radio before disbanding after two years. But Alan Bing started a partnership that lasted a long time, with Bing singing and Al accompanying him on the piano. Al would also sing, but like he was clearly not as good as Bing, which led to issues down the road, but we'll get there. Dun, dun, dun. After working locally for a bit, the two decided to pool their money and try their luck in California. Al's sister, who was a jazz singer on the verge of making it big, lived in Los Angeles with her husband. So they went to stay with her, and she got them jobs working in nightclubs. Bing and Al started touring up and down the coast with small vaudeville shows, calling themselves Two Boys and a Piano until two members of Paul Whiteman's orchestra heard them play, and that changed their lives. There's also rumors that, like, Al's sister, the, um, her husband in Los Angeles was, like, uh, I don't know what to call it. Like a... Mafia leader. Not really mafia, but, like... What? <laughs> he, like, drug dealer, but for alcohol. Okay. Like, he ran a lot of these, like, illegal speakeasies and illegal nightclubs and stuff. So, he was a well-off guy and a well-connected guy. Cool. Paul Whiteman was one of the biggest jazz band leaders in the world at that point. During the 20s, the media called Whiteman the king of jazz. Whiteman's band was massive, reaching up to 35 musicians when most others had, like, 8 to 10 or something like that. The guy was a superstar, and now Alan Bing, about a year after leaving Washington, had a contract with his band. Whiteman wanted something to break up the musical sections of his act, and the two boys in a piano act fit that bill. So they were hired... Break up the music with more music. Basically, yeah. They're like a little intermission entertainment, basically. So they were hired at $150 a week, which is about $2,000 a week today. Holy cow. (laughs) Yeah, which is insane. In 1926, and they debuted in Chicago with Whiteman. Uh, you said 1986? 1926. Oh, okay. I was like, that's late. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Suddenly, Bing and Al were playing with one of the biggest acts, going to all of these cities with more, <laughs> with more money than they knew what to do with. Apparently, they had a little too much fun at times, and this period was when some people started to suspect that Bing might have been an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> What makes you say that? You don't know about him. I don't, but I'm also not surprised. Eh, I mean, that's fair. They were just kids with a lot of money having fun in all these major cities. Alcohol is not that fun, kids. <laughs> Alcohol makes you feel bad. This Maybe I'm just saying that because I'm old. I'm 25 now, but like, <laughs> you got to watch yourself. Bing was probably about 25 when this was happening. You feel Maybe a couple years younger. Maybe I don't drink correctly, but like, anyway, (laughs) watch out, children. A few months after starting with Whiteman's band, Bing and Al made their first recording with the band, but the song was accidentally recorded at a slower speed, which pitched up the singer's voices. I mean, I'll play you that song, but it's a little hard to hear. Like, it's a little hard to pick Bing out because it's just, you know, he's just kind of like in the background. I've got a girl, I've got a girl, oh what a girl, oh what a girl, she's 
his first ever recording can't really hear him but it's the first time he's been recorded so it's a big thing Bing kept improving and became a standout of Whiteman's band Whiteman paired Al and Bing up with a young pianist and songwriter named Harry Barris that also is not a good name (laughs) got Bing Al Rinker and Harry Barris that's not good together the trio were known as the Rhythm Boys that's adorable (laughs) It's better than the musical adders, at least. And they had some breakaway success independently of Whiteman's band, though they were still under contract with him. The Rhythm Boys became the first successful jazz vocal group, but Whiteman's composers and arrangers always lobbied for more Bing solos since he impressed them the most. So the other two guys weren't fantastic singers, but they were good enough, I guess. In 1928, they had their first number one hit with Old Man River. You want to hear Old Man River? I do want to hear Old Man River. Okay, here's Old Man River. Old Man River. By the Rhythm Boys. So cute. Old Man River, that Old Man River, he don't say nothing, but he must know something because he just keeps rolling. He keeps rolling along, rolling along. He don't plant taters, he don't plant cotton. Them that plant some is soon forgotten, but Old Man River, he keeps rolling along. You and me, we sweat and strain, body all aching and racked with pain. Tote that barge, lift that bale, get a little drunk and you land in jail. I get weary, sick of trying, I'm tired of living. Even of dying, but old man river keeps rolling she up. Well, he did get arrested. Shame on him. Bad role model. Hi, I'm John, an amateur musician and dad. And I'm Harrison, his younger brother and a recovering know-it-all. And we host a podcast called Play Disc. John is open-minded and well-versed in music theory and composition. And Harrison is extremely online and reflexively contrarian. Hey, I'm not reflexively contrarian. Who wrote this copy? Every other Tuesday, we host a discussion on a different full album showcasing our contrasting energies. And our idiosyncrasies, like John tying everything back to the Beatles. Or Harrison insisting everything is a ska song. Play Disc is available anywhere you get podcasts from. New episodes every other Tuesday. Catch, Catch you, you on, on the B-side. B-side. At this point, at this point, Bing started to be known and respected as a jazz vocalist. He got to record with Duke Ellington and a few other of the big jazz stars. He was one of the most sought-out jazz vocalists in the country, and all of the top songwriters wanted to write for him. There was something new, exciting, and refreshing about his voice and what he brought to the table. He never learned to read music, but he had amazing memory and a way with pronunciation that made him an excellent singer. That was always what like people would comment on when they were commenting about his vocal ability. It was always like his enunciation and the way he like formed words and stuff. Interesting. Within a few years, the Rhythm Boys left Whiteman and started performing nightly at the Coconut Grove of the Ambassador Hotel in California which happened to be where Bing's girlfriend and soon wife lived. Dixie was a dancer and actress from Kentucky who had a really promising career ahead of her. I love Dixie. <laughs> you don't know anything about I, her. I know that she's an aspiring <laughs> dancer and actress from Kentucky. That moved she wasn't out aspiring to anymore. And she's following her dreams. Bing always had a huge fascination with the South, probably because of his love of Al Jolson and minstrel shows that kind of like embellished the South and glossed over the issues, making it seem like a little paradise. Who, buddy? And Dixie was from the South, so that was like an immediate attraction point for him. And I mean, her name is Dixie, so, you know. During this time period, at the end of the 20s, playing in the Coconut Grove, Bing started to drink more and more. He would often miss engagements and practices. Famously, the Rhythm Boys completely missed a show and were said to have walked out on their contract at the Coconut Grove. They claimed their six-month contract was up, but didn't know or didn't remember that there was an extra three-month option they needed to fulfill. 
It didn't really matter. They had a better offer waiting for them at the Roosevelt Club down the street, but this mix-up at the Grove ended up being a massive headache for Bing later. Here is Bing writing about it in his book. Quote, Toward the end of our engagement at the Grove, we didn't take our responsibilities seriously enough to suit Abe Frank. Frank was running the Coconut Grove and the Ambassador Hotel, but the Grove was his pet. He was an elderly, serious sort who disliked anything that disrupted the even tenor of the nightly routine at the Grove. When people were supposed to appear, he expected them to be on deck. So when How I feel dare he? <laughs> exactly. <I was laughs> running a business. How dare he do that? I was like, why are you painting this as a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do. Okay, so when I failed to get back for the Tuesday night show once too often, he docked my wages. Of course, Abe was within his rights, legalistically speaking. But I thought he was pretty small about it, so I quit. (laughs) I was encouraged in this defiance by an offer from Max Sinnott to make a series of movie shorts for him. I had made one for him already, and working in pictures looked like easy money to me. I made a couple more shorts at Sinnott's, then Abe Frank plastered a union ban on me for failure to fulfill the standard musician's contract. <laughs> After that, union musicians weren't allowed to work with me. Oh, goodness. So this little mix-up at the Grove was a huge headache because he had to, like, go back later and redo it all or, like, fulfill the rest of his contract so the union ban could be lifted. Towards the end of their time at the Grove, the Rhythm Boys started to see some tension. Harry Barris was a much bigger drinker than Bing ever was, and that caused even more tension. Bing stole the spotlight, not on purpose, just by being better than the other two. (laughs) And the other two started to seem not that important to the show. Besides, Bing wanted to be in movies, and it was much harder to get all three of them into movies. Al Rinker later said, quote, By that time, the drive was gone from the Rhythm Boys. We were each developing different interests. Harry was writing songs. Bing was playing golf. I was becoming interested in the production end of the business. We felt the Rhythm Boys was a stage in our lives, and now it was over. I like how the other two are like, yeah, I'm doing this thing in the, in the field <laughs> that I like to do, and Bing is playing <laughs> golf. Yeah. I think I think we talk about it in a minute, but Al and Bing didn't part on the best of terms. And I think Al was like, didn't think Bing took it all seriously enough, which he didn't. <laughs> well, apparently he didn't freaking have to. <laughs> No, he didn't. So the Rhythm Boys officially broke up, and only Bing went on to have a successful career in performing. Al went on to have like a pretty successful career on the production side of music. Good he, for him. He even wrote a few popular songs after that. Al became somewhat bitter towards Bing in their later years. He felt that Bing forgot his Rhythm Boy roots and forgot about his friends. But Bing notoriously supported Harry Barris and even worked with Al Rinker's sons. So who knows if Al's bitterness was justified or not. It's probably a little bit, but, you know, maybe not all the way. Harry Barris had a bit more tragic of a story. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> he played bit roles in several films, most of them because Bing got them for him. And Bing recorded several of his songs, enough to keep him going financially. But Harry never beat his drinking problem, and he would die at the age of 57. Do you want to see the Rhythm Boys performing together? Yes. In Paul Whiteman's film called The King of Jazz? Yes. All right, well, here are the Rhythm Boys performing. Lordy, how I'm telling you, they don't need no band. They time by clapping their hands. Just happy as a cow, chewing on a cud when the dark beat the feet of the Mississippi mud. Bing, this isn't the type of number for this kind of a production. What kind of a production is this? A super, 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 super special, special, special production. production. Well, I guess you're right. We should get out of the mud and reach for the higher and the finer things of life. The silver lining and the bluebird and life and love. Ah, look at my doorstep, look at my doorstep, look at the bluebird, look at the blackbird, look at the good luck, look at the bad luck, look at the good luck and the bad luck. I never saw bluebirds mingle with blackbirds, I never saw bluebirds do only backwards, never knew good birds so with care. Here is someone at the piano. Harry Barris. Oh, I'm surprised. I thought it was the other guy. No. Al Winkers in the middle. He has a kind face. Okay. First the bluebird said, we've got to have sunny weather. So the bluebirds and the blackbirds. That is some Then the blackbirds said, oh, we're birds of a different Maybe it's just mascara. 
You can see his hair is already thinning. Yeah. Became a huge point of contention when he did movies. That's why he always wore hats. Because he refused to wear the wigs. Yeah, especially next to, um, what's his face, Al? Yeah. Al's got a good head of hair. Right, that's the Rhythm Boys. That was so wonderful. I very much enjoyed that. I thought you would. The early 30s were a massive time period for Bing. For one thing, he married Dixie Lee in 1930. At the time, she was more famous than he was. Oh, which was you why go, girl. Which was why the newspaper said that Dixie married someone named Murray Crozy. <laughs> where did that come from? I, don't, I have no idea where Murray came from, but Crozy is close to Crosby, I guess. Bing also appeared in several musical comedy short films and had his first solo radio broadcast. These radio shows started to make him a massive star. Ten of the top 50 songs in 1931 featured Bing, either as a solo act or as part of a group. That's cool. Yeah, it is crazy. In 1932, he started in his first feature-length film, The Big Broadcast. I wonder where they got the inspiration for that. <laughs> they weren't very creative. He received his first radio sponsorship with Crema Cigars, which allowed his radio show to be broadcasted nationally and made him somewhat of a household name in 1931. He was known as the Cremo Singer. Or Cremo? I don't really know, honestly. None of this is good. <laughs> he started his routine of making three films a year with Paramount. That's a ton. Yep. Basically, his star was constantly on the rise. Like at this point, he was just going up and up. Unfortunately, it wasn't all sunshine. His marriage with Dixie took a hit, and they separated in 1931. Why. He was making three movies <laughs> in a year and doing a radio broadcast. She apparently tried to keep up with his drinking or would drink to pass the time while he was out late at night. That's not good. And this led to her having major issues with alcohol. Oh, Lord. She said that she was going to file for a divorce and said, quote, We've only been married about six months, but we have already found out that we are not suited for each other. Our separation is an amiable one, and the only reason for it is that we just cannot get along. Bean is... B Bing. Bean? Bean. <laughs> he has so many names. <laughs> Bing is a fine boy as a friend, but married, he and I just cannot be happy. End quote. But they were able to talk it out, and Bing flew to meet up with her. They reconciled and stayed married, with Dixie being able to pressure Bing into getting his drinking under control. How long did they stay married for? We'll get there. But oh, okay. this is like this is way cutting it down. Like there was a lot more to it. Like she flew to an island and apparently this like filing for separation was just kind of like a scare tactic to get Bing under control and it worked and he like immediately flew to meet her and work it out. So, like, there, there's a lot more to the story. I'm just kind of getting manipulative. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might not have been a, it might have been more like an ultimatum. Like, I'm putting my foot down. Either you actually work at this marriage or I'm going through with this divorce. That's, that's fair. Okay. 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 Frank Sinatra's wife did that to him, too, a couple times. He, I'm sure both of these boys deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, Dixie never recovered from her own alcohol issues, even though she helped Bing get his under control. There were rumors that their marriage was strained all the time, and it might have been. Bing didn't like to be at home much. He much preferred golfing or racing her horses at the racetrack he owned. But they stayed married until Dixie died of ovarian cancer in 1951. Wow, that's sad. Yeah, so they were married for a good 30 years. Wait, no, 20 years, 21 years. But back to 1934. Bing's career in the entire music industry took a massive gamble. A guy named Jack Cap worked for a place called Brunswick Records. That's a good name. Jack Cap. Yep. All right. That one's a good strong name. <laughs> it's the case. Yeah. He was a he was massive at Brunswick labels and he worked with people like Al Jolson. Bing worked very closely with him. During the Great Depression, Cap recognized that record prices were far too high. He had a crazy idea of starting a new label and releasing bargain music for much cheaper. 
So he started Decca Records, and Bing joined him, leaving Brunswick simply to follow Jack. I'm willing to bet Bing didn't know much about the plan or care all that much. He just liked Jack and backed his ideas. He was like, this guy's smart, I trust him, don't really know this crazy idea he's got, but I'll back him. The Decca Records experiment was ultimately a major success and might have saved the music industry. An audio engineer said, quote, By the way, Bing actually saved the record business in 1934 when he agreed to support Decca founder Jack Capps' crazy idea of lowering the prices of singles from a dollar to 35 cents and getting a royalty for records sold instead of a flat fee. That's a big cut. That's cool. Yeah. Bing's and name, royalties. Bing's name and his artistry saved the recording industry. All the other artists signed to Decca after Bing did. Without him, Jack Cap wouldn't have had a chance in hell of making Decca work, and the Great Depression would have wiped out phonograph records for good. End quote. So yeah, Bing might have saved the record industry, according to one audio engineer who I didn't remember to write down his name. It was my dad. <laughs> okay. I'll give him credit for it. In 1936, Bing replaced Paul Whiteman as the host of the Kraft Music Hall for NBC and released a song called Where the Blue of the Night Meets the Gold of the Day, which became his signature song for the broadcast. Do you want to hear that song? Oh, yeah, I want to hear this song. Where the Blue of the Night Meets the Gold of the Day. Why must I live in dreams Of the days I used to know why can't I find real peace of mind and return to the long ago where the blue of the night meets the gold of the day someone waits for me I love him, but this is a little boring. And the gold it's very boring for, like, the signature song of a big radio variety show. Mm. Like, I would like expect a, a little bit more high energy. Yeah, yeah, that's when the blue of the night meets the gold of the day. It's pretty. It's boring. Just a tiny bit. But I haven't heard the whole thing. Yeah. Basically, from then on out, his career exploded and reached heights never really seen before. He started to make a series of films with Bob Hope called The Road Series, starting with Road to Singapore in 1940. Bing and Bob Hope were a massive hit together, and the series was immensely popular. Bing was able to leverage his stardom to get Louis Armstrong his first movie role as well, which we talked a little bit about in the Louis Armstrong episode. Additionally, Bing's music was breaking records, and his radio show was a huge hit. Everything was going exceptionally well for him. During World War II, his radio show regularly attracted an audience of 50 million, an unheard of number at that time. Do you know anything about the Road series? No, I don't, actually. It's basically like Bing kind of plays the straight man to like Bob Hope's goofy character, like goofy mess up kind of, because like Bob Hope was a comedian. Right. And it was kind of the first time that people saw that Bing actually had some comedic timing and he was That's actually fun. like apparently they were just really their chemistry was insane on screen together and they worked really well together and it was just kind of like they just went to these exotic locations and it's just these or two goofy. characters <laughs> in exotic locations trying to do random stuff huh yeah apparently they're very good I haven't seen any of them during World War II Bing became a force he released a record number of songs, answered thousands and thousands of letters from servicemen and their families, sold war bonds, basically whatever he could to help out. At the end of the war, an army poll voted him the person who had done the most to boost wartime morale. Though that could have just been a popularity contest, and he won it because he was the most popular person in the world at the time. But, I mean, he beat out people like Roosevelt and... uh. Churchill. So, I mean, they weren't well, boosting morale. we're talking morale. about boosting morale, <laughs> exactly. But, he, be, uh, yeah, he beat out, like, every other performer. Like, he was doing stuff, at least. More than Frank. Frank got in a lot of trouble for World War II. Yeah. Because he didn't want to go. And then 
It was a whole thing. We'll get there. He's a problematic boy. <laughs> he is. Crosby's biggest song. I don't know why I switched from calling him Bing to Crosby right here. It threw me off. <laughs> Bing's biggest Bing! song. <laughs> and the biggest song ever at that point was released on a Christmas Day radio broadcast in 1941. White Christmas quickly rose to number one on the charts and stayed there 11 weeks. Which is kind of crazy because it was released on Christmas Day. So it was still like February. One. <laughs> it's still Christmas. Not even February. It's probably into March. You think? Because four. Christmas Day. It's four weeks a month and it's 11 weeks. Okay, you're right. I can't do math. That's, that would be so annoying for it to be March and you're still. You would hate <laughs> that. I'd be. Mm, I don't think I'd be down. Christmas music is special because. Yeah, it's for Christmas. We play it as soon as. like. Black Friday, it's acceptable. Eh. Black Friday is acceptable. It is. Okay. It's I'm not okay It's that. not anything else anymore. I mean, it's it's I Christmas would, time. I would generally like the day after Black Friday because nope. Black Friday still feels like a Thanksgiving thing. Nope. And I like you are shopping break. for Christmas presents. Okay. Regardless. We all know it, but do you want to hear White Christmas again? Uh, what if I said no? Then we'll just skip it. No. <laughs> Because we already played it in the Izzy episode, because oh, Izzy wrote it. We'll do it again. This time, Nick and I will sing too. Here we go. We will. So, I said I was going to sing this, this song at the end tonight. It's from. I said I was going to sing this song. Holiday. So I am. Okay. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Just like the this makes me wish it was in August. I know. I <laughs> saw <laughs> someone in a jacket earlier today, and I was like, I can't wait. Like I just, whenever I hear the song or see this movie, it's, just, it's Christmas time. To hear it's going to be over in a few seconds, and it's not really Christmas, so I'm going to be so sad. All Simon's tears, you fall asleep tonight. That would just be creepy. <laughs> Be sweet and romantic. Of a white so I just hear Christmas you whispering the song in my ear. <laughs> With every Christmas card I write. May your day. But we don't like taking pictures. Be merry and bright. What if we just take a Christmas picture and of may all we just Photoshop random Christmas people from stock images and with our cats <laughs> send that out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that was White Christmas. We didn't hear a lot of it. We talked over pretty much the whole thing. I'm dreaming of <laughs> a white Christmas. Thank you. With every Christmas card. Just right. as good as Bing. I know. <laughs> Why am I not famous yet? <laughs> Between 1946 May and 1948. Days. Are you good? Mm-hmm. You're going to start singing again as soon as I start no. talking. I know you are. No. Between 1946. You're thinking about it. No, <laughs> I'm not. Between 1946 and 1948, Bing, Be reached <laughs> Bing reached his peak years and once again transformed the entertainment industry. During the war... I'm trying to tell a story here. And you're just... And may all your Christmases be white. (laughs) During the war, he had the idea to pre-record things to send to soldiers. Now, he wanted to pre-record his radio shows, which was something that had never been done before. Oh, dang. NBC, his radio show producer, hated the idea and took him to court over it. What? (laughs) Why? I have no idea. Bing won because I don't know what they could possibly (laughs) be suing about. (laughs) I'm suing you over a bad idea. (laughs) Such a bad idea. You owe me money for having listened to it. (laughs) Suing you for the time and the emotional damage. (laughs) Anyway, Bing won and he moved to ABC, immediately making the small-time producer a major competitor. ABC was like nothing at that point. And then Bing went there and there's like, oh, now there's something. And I just love that Bing can do that. He's like, I don't have to go to another big producer. I can just go wherever because I'm Bing. 
He went somewhere small so they'd like listen to yeah. his ideas. Like it was the same thing with Decca. It's like because he's Bing, he can get away with just starting a new record label on a crazy idea. This gamble of moving to ABC was a massive success, and soon all other radio presenters followed suit. Billboard they all just moved to ABC. No, sorry, the gamble of pre-recording oh, radio shows. Okay. The big I- his big idea. Billboard called Bing's radio show gamble the most important show business story since the invention of the talking picture. It was a big deal. Basically, Bing sponsored an engineer who was developing better ways of recording and playing back on tape. Soon, the quality drastically improved and allowed a recorded broadcast to be edited and they could include canned laughter and audience responses into the tape. Oh, yeah, we really love that canned <laughs> laughter. It was a revolution for tape shows. Like, it's so old hat now, but, like, at the time, it was unheard of. If you weren't doing it live, it wasn't going. It wasn't being broadcasted. And it all came about because this engineer had this idea to do it, and Bing was like, yeah, I'll give you money to develop that. (laughs) How do you need to develop it? It's just a recording of laughter that you play. I don't understand. The idea of, like, better recording for the radio show that could be played back live on air like it was the whole thing and then you can like edit it and splice the tape it was just it was a big ordeal anyway a little bit of a segue here's just a random song that being recorded during this time when he was at the height of his as the winds begin to sigh shadows on the trail and the world is silhouetted against the sky. shadows on the trail. songs like that yeah i think it's so beautiful i love it a ton and i always kind of wanted to do it still can no you heard me sing yeah you're good at it no other than his success in music bing had a massive movie career that i don't really want to focus too much on because he sold out no i'm kidding (laughs) it's this episode is already pretty long as it is and we're a music podcast so we don't talk about other <laughs> art forms. No, I just want to focus on music <laughs> where we can. <laughs> but I did want to mention that at first, filmmakers didn't want him in, in movies because they thought he was too goofy looking. Yep, they had to put tape behind his ears because they flared out so much. And he had to wear a wig That's because so he was balding mean. at a young age. <laughs> so mean. Body positivity. Let him be. <laughs> There's a story about, like, they couldn't get through a scene because Bing's ears, the tape kept loosening, and then they would just flop out. <laughs> like, it would just make all the actors laugh. <laughs> and they'd have to pause and retape his ears, and then they would just flop out again. Oh, my God. <laughs> Eventually, as he became a superstar, he refused to use the tape and refused to wear a wig, instead wearing hats almost everywhere he went. I'm sure it looked better. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Also, he didn't like the idea of being the name at the top of the movie. Even after he topped the box office pole five years running, meaning he was the biggest movie star for five straight years, all of his film contracts contained what was known as the Crosby Clause. Kind of like the Santa Claus, but... That's literally what I was (laughs) thinking of. Producers were not allowed to bill him alone above the movie title. Above the movie title. He always wanted to share credit or blame... For the movies. <laughs> he said in an interview with Barbara Walters at the end of his life that he always took the lowest billing he could get and thought you lasted longer that way. He said, quote, I've made some pictures that were terrible, and if I had been up there all alone on the marquee, I'd have got the blame for them. So, like, instead I of I mean, it, I guess. Instead of it being, like, Bing Crosby in Holiday Inn, it's, I like, understand. Bing Crosby blame in. Yeah, other people might have. No, that's an insult <laughs> to our listeners. <laughs> How dare you? 
So yeah, he always made sure there was he would get like a he wouldn't even be on top if he could help it. Like but he was Bing, so they had to put him up there. Bing. So for his entire movie career, he was never once alone on a movie poster. Kind of crazy. Through all of this, Bing seemed completely unaffected by anything at all. He was notoriously aloof, preferring to have fun fishing, golfing, or horse racing. But when he was working, he worked hard. He made sure everyone showed up on time and did the job, but he wasn't afraid to relax hard either. I wonder where he learned that whole showing up on time (laughs) thing. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) He was a very reserved, calm man, but a lot of people took that and viewed him as a cold, hardened man. He had a really hard time letting anyone get close to him. In the 30s, his best friend needed a simple surgery on his vocal cords, but was afraid of the anesthesia. Bing encouraged him to get the surgery, and he said nothing, because I think Bing had had it before, because Bing had, like, nodes on his vocal cords, and I think it was similar kind of thing. So he encouraged him to get the surgery, and he told him nothing's going to happen, but something went wrong, and his friend died during the surgery. Oh, no. Since then, Bing never let anyone get close to him. That's horrible. Yeah, he, like, that was his best, like, that was the only person who was, like, super close to him, besides Mm. maybe his wife, and he encouraged him to get the surgery that ended up killing him. Mm. So after that, Bing never let anyone get close to him. He also became horribly afraid of hospitals and blatantly refused to go to them. That's some trauma. He also refused to go to funerals because he was mobbed at that friend's funeral and hated it so much that he didn't want it to happen again. Mobbed because people thought it was his fault or mobbed because he was being Crosby? Because he was being Crosby. Okay. Like he showed up and everyone just wanted pictures with him or autographs or to say hello. awful. And he's like, we're here to celebrate the life of this dude. Leave me alone. So like he refused to do that again. So he just never went to funerals. That's really awful. Yep. Bing was the first singer to really use the microphone as an instrument. This allowed him to develop the deep, intimate, quiet style of crooning that everyone copied after him. He had a carefree, almost easy style of singing, but it was incredibly hard to replicate. He worked hard on singing well, but that never came across in his performances. Bing also had a carefully crafted public persona and refused to even touch on anything political for fear of the public backlash. Again, complete opposite of Frank Sinatra. Probably because of his friendship with Louis Armstrong, Bing was an advocate to legalize marijuana. He even told his son to use marijuana instead of drinking. <laughs> Just that was I threw that in there because it surprised me. I was like, I wouldn't think he would be, because he was a pretty like. I mean, I'm sure he smoked cigars, and it wasn't a huge deal to be smoking at the time. So like. Yeah, but he he was like a really reserved Catholic. Like he held to like Catholic traditions and beliefs about a lot of things so like he i think uh, we might get to it later so i won't say it now but whatever as his star rose he didn't really perform on stage all that much he didn't have time to with filming movies all the time recording and his radio shows but in 1976 he had a much publicized return to the stage you want to see him performing on johnny carson in 1976 that'd be a knockout night oh yes and he's got a brand new album called that's what life is all about, okay, and it's see. a great kick to have him here tonight, Mr. Bing Crosby. I want to wake up in the morning where the morning glories grow. Where the sun comes a-peepin' in to where I sleep And the songbirds say hello I wanna wander in the wild woods Where the rippling waters flow And go drifting back to Java Where the morning glories grow The old orchestras of the past. Well, same performing. In 19- His voice sounds like a hug. <laughs> That's okay. That's one of the. I forgot the exact quote, but it was like. 
He said that like the reason why he was so popular, or someone said the reason why he was so popular is because he sounded like when you listened to him, you thought, I can do that, but no one could. Like no one could sing like him, but it was such an easygoing way of singing that like everyone thought they could. It just sounded so easy to do. I know that's exactly what I sound like. <laughs> In 1977, at the age of 73, Bing was in Madrid playing golf with a couple of Spanish golf pros. He was actually really good at golf. Well, yeah, apparently it's what he was working on <laughs> when his friends were working on the music business. Yeah. yeah, he loved golf. He was always there. He was happy in singing during the four and a half hour trek around the course. He ended up beating the golf champions. On the way back to the locker room, he suffered a major heart attack and passed away. His second wife got a call from the golfers, from the golfers that Bing was playing with, mm -hmm. and the golfers, and she said about that call, quote, he told me that Bing had a very good round. I'd like that to be said, end quote. That's so precious. That's really giving me feels. <laughs> Bing's legacy cannot be overstated. He had 396 songs chart with 25 number one hits. Between 1931 and 1954, he released at least one new song every year that hit the charts. That's crazy. For yeah. 20 straight years, he had a song chart every that's year. That's really impressive. A statistician researched and claimed that Bing was the most successful recording artist of the 30s and the 40s. Which, like, I don't know why you have to research that. It's pretty yeah. obvious. <laughs> For 15 years, Bing was in the top 10 of box office sales, and he topped the list for five of those years. He sang four Academy Award-winning songs and won an Academy Award for acting. A survey in the year 2000 found that he was the third most popular actor of all time in terms of ticket sales, behind Clark Gable and John Wayne. Wow. Bing has 23 gold and platinum records. He has been inducted into pretty much every single Hall of Fame he's eligible for, and probably a couple that he's not. But Bing wasn't a superhero. I like Bing, but I've made it a point to not only talk about the good things people did. Bing had his issues, as we all do. In the 30s or 40s, he started a troupe out of his home that performed in blackface because he missed the minstrel shows of his youth. He was notoriously bad with alcohol and even was arrested after crashing to a, into a light pole while drunk. I already talked about some of the damage that he did to Dixie. Even if that was kind of accidental, it was still because of his drinking. After his death, Bing's eldest son, Gary, wrote a highly critical novel in which he claimed Bing was cruel, cold, remote, physically and psychologically abusive. Apparently, Bing was a really cruel disciplinarian who didn't allow for any failures from his kids. Wonder where he got that from. Yep, exactly. According to Gary... Bing would often introduce him as his, quote, fat kid to his friends. Bing would even weigh Gary, and if the scale was too high, Bing would beat him with a belt. However, Crosby's younger son, Philip, heavily and vociferously denied Gary's comments. He said, <laughs> just, he said, quote, Gary is a whining, bitching crybaby walking around with a two-by-four on his shoulder and just daring people to nudge it off. Philip didn't deny that Bing believed in corporal punishment, but insisted that he and his siblings never got an extra whack or a cuff we didn't deserve. Yeah, I think that he wasn't being beaten because he was overweight. Yeah. That's my read on that situation. Yeah. It does seem... I'd have a chip on my shoulder myself. Yeah. I mean, it seems from what I've gathered from not a lot of research, it seems that Gary was not entirely honest and he was trying to like, in a way, like use some of this stuff to kind of boost his own fame. But he also probably like had a harder time with it than Philip did. And just, yeah, I don't know, probably a lot going on here. And it's the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. In an interview in 1991, Philip said, quote, My dad was not the monster my lying brother said he was. He was strict, but my father never beat us black and blue, and my brother Gary was a vicious, no-good liar for saying so. 
I have nothing but fond memories of Dad going to studios with him, family vacations at our cabin in Idaho, boating and fishing with him. To my dying day, I'll hate Gary for dragging Dad's name through the mud. He wrote Going My Own Way, which was the book he wrote about it, out of greed. He wanted to make money and knew that humiliating our father and blackening his name was the only way he could do it. He knew it would generate a lot of publicity. That was the only way he could get his ugly, no-talent face on television and in the newspapers. Hot damn. (laughs) My dad was my hero. I loved him very much. He loved all of us, too, including Gary. He was a great father. End quote. But it also should be noted that two of his other kids didn't deny Gary's claims. One, named Lindsay, seemed to support Gary's side, and the other one said, quote, that's Gary's business, end quote. But neither of them ever actually, like, denied that any of it happened. Bing's younger brother, wow, Bing's younger brother, Bob, said that Bing was a disciplinarian like their mother and father had been. He said that Bing, quote, was like a lot of fathers of that time. He was not out to be vicious, to beat children for his kicks, end quote. In his will, Bing set up a blind trust that none of his kids would get an inheritance until they turned 65. But Philip was the only one who lived that long. Holy cow! Yeah. I think it was just kind of the attitude of make your own way, don't coast on my laurels kind of thing. But I don't know, that seemed harsh to me. But at the same time, Bing was always incredibly generous to his friends. He would give freely of his money whenever someone needed anything. One of the people who worked for him said that Bing had a list and told him to ensure that whoever was on that list never had to worry about anything ever. Harry Barris, his old Rhythm Boy partner, was on that list. I'm guessing Al Rinker was as well, but Al never needed any help like Harry did. Because Al was able to make a career on his own. Bing didn't forget about the people he loved and made sure they were set up. Seems like he might not have been the best father and certainly wasn't always the best husband, but I still think he had a kind heart deep down. Yeah, can you not set up your kids for success? Yeah. But see, the thing is... Like, I get not giving them a ton of money. Like, I totally am behind that. That's just weird. I still think they had... They're Bing Crosby's kids. They had money. They had opportunity. They had money. Like, you can't open any more doors than just saying, I'm the son of Bing Crosby. That's going to get you into any room you want to be in and almost any job you want to have. So in a way, like, I don't support it, but I kind of get it. I kind of get him being like, look, if you can't do anything with that, like, I don't know. I don't want you to just coast. Like, I want you to actually have to work a little bit. Despite all of his successes, Bing hated being called a legend because, in his words, he, di- he never did anything deserving of it. He rattled off a bunch of names like Lawrence Olivier, Sinatra, and Streisand and said he never did anything great like those people, never caused any excitement like they did, which is sort of ironic since Sinatra at the start based his whole career off of trying to be better than Bing and always called Bing the king. Yet Bing was saying, like, I didn't do anything nearly as good as they did. He also said he was a terrible actor who did the same role all the time and didn't deserve his Oscar. That probably <laughs> is the case. No, the Road series apparently was different than a That's lot of the cool. other stuff. That's true. That's true. When asked if you had to describe Bing Crosby, what would you say? He said, quote, I think he's saying a fair song in tune most of the time. He can read lines pretty good, has a good sense of comedy timing, a fair vocabulary, and not a bad fellow all around. That's about it. End quote. Yeah, that's Bing Crosby. That is our Bing Crosby special. Bing. <laughs> what do you think about Bing now? The end of it. I'm down with Bing. Okay. <laughs> for the record, <laughs> I'm going to cut out a lot of that, but she thought for a solid minute. <laughs> Just silence for a minute. To come up with that. <laughs> it's hard to like end on some of the like negatives yeah. and the problems. I'm just like, oh dang, no that's one wants to hear that. That's kind of why I hate putting that stuff at the end, but I gotta put it somewhere, and I don't know where else to put it. At the beginning, make me hate just him and then earn it back. 
mean, I tried to earn it back a little bit with some of the humility he's, stuff at the end. He's just complex, and we're not going to understand. He is very complex. Everyone's just complex. like a human, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was... He was a very humble guy, or at least, like... His persona was humble. Yeah. But that was, like, towards the end of his career where he had nothing to prove to anyone, and he didn't care anymore that mm-hmm. much. Because that was with the Barbara Walters interview, like, two years before he died. Okay. So that was kind of when some of the publicity was like the per- public persona was wearing off and he could just be him. Mm-hmm. Like he married a much younger girl at that point, which caused a huge uproar. And he was like, I don't care. We were in love, whatever. So yeah, it was it was dying off a bit. I think mm-hmm. he just honestly like had that persona of like, this is just a way to make a lot of money so I can keep doing what I want to do. Like I'm good at this and I'm going to work hard at it, but you know, I'm not the best. Like, I'm just, this is, I'm just making money. I like the idea of the hard work. Yeah. I do. I'm glad he had a good last day. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, like, people from that biography I read who recorded in the studio with him and said that, like, he just had a way of making everyone feel at ease. Because it was, like, these, it was, a the Andrews sisters, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. It was some sisters, and they, like recorded with him and he was this massive figure and like an idol to them and then they were so they were like so nervous at the recording and he just like came in and was so like laid back and chill about all of it and like just made him feel super comfortable and helped them calm their nerves and just sing i don't know it was cool all right well that's our being crosby specials and then we're gonna move on i don't know what we're doing next i don't remember i don't know doo-wop maybe yeah, I think doo next. But we're moving into the 50s. We're getting into modern times. I refuse. Reese is terrible. Thanks for listening. Real peace of mind and return to the long ago.